Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples. Physicist Dave Rockstead is off today. On today's podcast, part two of two on a student's guide to liberal learning. Uh, Ken, you introduced us last time to James Shaw, a, uh, a person who's written a lot. I think you said before he passed away, he'd written something like 40 books. Yeah. And you picked up this one, Student's Guide to Liberal Learning, and found a number of points there. You uh, jotted down at least 10 for us to review. We talked about five of them in the previous podcast, and now five more on this one as a way to kind of get us up to speed on what's uh, happening and challenges we face in culture today. Yes. Uh, I, of course, am working on a book uh, about logic, learning, and life of the mind. And so I was on Amazon looking at some titles, came across James V. Shaw's book, Liberal Learning, A Student's Guide. And uh, my vacation, I read it. I, I read it in one setting. It's not very long, but I, I was engrossed by it. And I immediately thought, wow, this is a book that I want to talk about on straight thinking. And and what I often do, Joe, is when I'm reading a book, one of the one of the practices I have that I learned from Mortimer Adler is I often think to myself, okay, what are the 10 most important things that this book is telling me? So that's exactly what we're doing in our in our first uh, program. We talked a little bit about James Shaw. He was born in 1928, died in 20, uh, 1928, was born 2019, he died. Uh, he was a philosopher. He was a professor. Uh, he was a member of the Society of Jesus. So he was a Jesuit. He was a conservative, uh, both politically and theologically. Now, I usually don't talk about the political side. But I only bring that up because so many of the issues relevant today have a political context. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why we have such division in our nation today between our two parties is that they're not just political issues, they're worldview issues. We have different views about what a human being is, when life begins, etc. Well, uh, Shaw was prolific author. Uh, a classical thinker. Um, here are those five, just to enumerate them for those who maybe haven't heard that earlier show. Encourage you to go back. Uh, Shaw talks about the difference between an intrinsic good and an instrumental good. I think that's so important. Some things are just good in themselves. Truth is truth, goodness, and beauty are good in themselves. Even if they don't take you anywhere or do anything for you, they're good. Second, finding truth is the human mind's primary purpose. Wow, I haven't heard that in a while. Mm. That that human beings have the capacity, the purpose of our minds is to define the truth. I love what uh, I love what John Calvin says. He says that human beings, being made in the image of God means that we're meant to be hunters and gatherers of the truth. Wow, that's that's so refreshing. Third point uh, that Shaw makes very powerfully, that, that truth is objective, that it corresponds to reality, and it serves to set us free 
you know, truth, goodness, and beauty, th- those are the those are the transcendentals in a in a Christian context. And not only is God truth, goodness, and beauty, corresponding, by the way, maybe to Father, Son, and Spirit, but the world God created, he imbued that world with truth, goodness, and beauty. And when we discover those things, we find fulfillment in our being. I mean, after all, Jesus is truth with a capital T. And Jesus is the one who tells us that the truth will set us free. Fourth point uh, that... Uh, Shaw makes is that uh, unfortunately today, and he wrote the book in 2000, I think it's more true today, that typically students don't know what the Bible teaches. They, they don't have a clear idea. And how can you reject something you don't know? Uh, how can you really say, I've, you know, I don't believe what my parents believe, or I don't believe what, what the Bible teaches? Well, you can only disagree genuinely with something you know, and students today don't know much about the Bible. And at the fifth point, that most students and the professors at the university have accepted a relativistic view of truth without rigorously examining the idea. And, and Joe, that's, that's the very purpose of an education. The very purpose of an education is for me as a professor to challenge my students, to present them arguments, to give them both sides of the perspective, and to allow them through critical analysis to to develop their own judgment. Um, Now, you're always going to be advocating positions. I mean, it's hard to know a position unless somebody advocates it or, you know, gives you some kind of indoctrination But where indoctrination stops is in a lack of critical analysis. I don't tell my students, uh, you know, what to believe. I try to challenge them and then get them to interact. Now, certainly I believe in Christian truth, and so does James Shaw. Um, And these ideas are, are very powerful. So what I'd like to do now is tackle five more of what I think are his 10 most important points. All right, very good. Well, let's pick it up. Number six, standing up for truth has been historically dangerous. Here's this quote. He says, many of history's greatest figures, Socrates, Cicero, Christ, Boethius, Thomas More, were not allowed to continue their work in the cities in which they lived. Each was eliminated. Yet they each stood for the truth that was made most graphic to us because they did not compromise or change the standards of mind or God that are the foundations of human well-being and and order. I I mentioned in the previous show, Joe, that uh, during my recent vacation, I decided that I would just read through the four Gospels. I just wanted wanted to go through them again. Uh, I've read them many times, but I... I, um, I, I, in fact, did a little differently this time. I went on uh, YouTube. I found uh, the 1984 translation of the NIV, one of my favorites, and uh, I listened to it read in somebody whose voice sounded kind of like Moses, and I went through it in, in my English text, just underlining and I'd stop. Hey, wait a second. I gotta gotta check this. I gotta check that. 
One of the things that really struck me was how uncompromising Jesus Christ was, that he was not going to back down. He wouldn't back down to the devil. He wouldn't back down to the Jewish religious leaders. He wouldn't back down even when people who were sympathetic to him, Peter and others, tried to, hey, you know, maybe you don't have to go to the cross, or maybe maybe you can do it this way. There, there was this just this adamant sense of Jesus knew who he was, what his mission was, and he was going to accomplish it. Even when his own human nature said, Father, uh, this cup I'm about to take is not something I look forward to, but not not my will, thine be done. Well, uh, Joe, at a time in which people debate truth, where people say you can't know the truth, or there really is no truth, or you're so biased and prejudiced, you couldn't possibly have objective truth. Um, in some ways, these ideas are new, but they're not new. Uh, I think postmodernism gives us some new wrinkles. But in many ways, postmodern ideas about the relativity of truth and the relativity of goodness, they've been around at least since the time of Socrates. Uh, and, and that gives us an indication, I think, how do we how do we rebut these ideas? How do we deal with these ideas? How do how do we deal with them when our kids go to public schools? How do we how do we navigate as citizens uh, when we're called to jury duty or when we were asked to vote? How do we how do we logically and biblically and rationally navigate? Well, again, I think a very important part is being humble enough to realize that we can learn from history, that there are Christians who've lived in history and there, and there are non-Christians who've lived in history that can teach us things. And what I want to encourage our listeners to appreciate is that people like Plato and Aristotle, yeah, they're pagans. People like Cicero, yeah, they're pagans. But they had a lot of truth. And they can, they can teach us some things about the truth. They certainly taught Augustine. They certainly taught Thomas Aquinas. Um, and so learning history, learning some philosophy, philosophy, philosophy does bake bread. It does serve uh, important purposes. And so, you know, if, if some of the great figures of the past, if they were eliminated, uh, they were killed because they held on to truth, then it's likely we're going to be persecuted if we stand up for the truth. Mm, yeah. So there seems to be some irony in the first podcast. One of the points was the truth shall make you free. And here at this point, the truth has been historically dangerous. It, it may make you free, but it may cost you your life. So that, wait a that's, second. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. It, it will free you within your heart, mm. but it it there may be a penalty to be paid mm. um, by that. Yeah. Well, point number seven, uh, immorality often stands in the way of seeing truth. I wish... I wish Dave Rogstad were with us today because I thought about him when I was writing this, that immorality often stands in the way of seeing truth. D Dave, 
Dave makes that point very powerfully, Joe. You know, he often says that it is our it is our sinful nature that that cloaks us. Uh, you know, we we hide our, we hide within our our sin nature. Well, here's what Shaw says. He says, uh, Augustine is an excellent guide for today's students and searchers. He tells them that living their lives in personal moral disorder, often the principal cause of intellectual disorder, will prevent them from seeing the truth. He tells each of us to be honest with ourselves, not to lie to ourselves and our own souls about ourselves to describe accurately the real results of our choices and deeds, not to be blind to the results of our errors, sins, and defects. You know, that, that's that's a very powerful point. It's, it, it's not just true of the fact that God's not hidden. God might appear hidden because you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, but it, it's also the realization that, and, and, and I thought that was, was very powerful, Shaw says that um, our the cause of our intellectual disorder, the reason we're we're mixed up about issues relating to the mind, is because of issues relating to the heart. Mm-hmm. That morality stands in the way. It it <laughs> excuse me. It it interferes with our capacity to to know the truth. And you know that that's exactly. Right. I mean, um, it takes a lot of courage, Joe, to um, to be truthful. It takes even more courage to be truthful with yourself, to, to realize that I'm a broken, fallen person. Uh, it takes humility, but that's the that's the kind of courage and humility that that then allows us to. Uh, to encounter the grace of God. And it it takes a great deal of, of courage and strength to say, I'm a broken person. I'm a fallen person. I need the Lord's forgiveness. I, I need I need reconciliation. Um, you know, it's 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 possible that we have a lot of strange philosophical ideas and doctrines because people are morally disordered which has led to a disorder of the truth mm-hmm. and and this is a again this is a classical idea saint augustine it, much of this is rooted in augustine augustine said something like this he said look you're made in the image of god but you're now fallen original sin has taken hold of you so you're still a worshiper because that's part of your nature but in a fallen state, it becomes idolatry. We're cut off from God, but we can't stop worshiping. So we plug it into something else. And we're also lovers. We're made to, to love and to know God, but being cut off from God, we start to love the wrong things or we love in the wrong way, disordered way of thinking. So our life is now in a sinful state. It's being disordered. And so Human beings look at sex and they think, wow, sex is great. It's fun. It's pleasurable. Well, I'll just make my whole life about it, or I'll try to have as much of it as possible. And it all falls down. And we think, well, what went wrong? Isn't this a good thing? Well, part of a disordered life is trying to find uh, eternal 
eternal goods and and temporal things. Mm-hmm. Uh, food's a good thing. Eat too much of it, though. Got a problem on your hands. Money is a good thing. Money is not a bad thing. The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's the lust for money. Money is a good thing. You know, go to the grocery store. You got to have some money. You got to have a debit card and you have to put money in the bank to cover the debit. Those are good things. But if you try to uh, you try to make temporal things into eternal things, you got Augustine's life in the confessions. Why is Augustine's confessions arguably the most popular Christian book outside of the Bible? I think because when we read him, we think he's writing about us. He's an empathetic friend. We see his foibles. We see his faults. We see his sins, his errors, his defects. We see original sin. And in the mirror, we see ourselves. So immorality can stand in the way of discovering the truth. That's Joe, it comes back to this. Maybe the most diabolical thing about sin is that it blinds us. Mm-hmm. It blinds us. Mm-hmm. Point number eight. Now, this was kind of a hard one, I have to tell you. He, Shaw kind of rubbed me the wrong way here. Mm-hmm. Uh, point number eight, an education alternative, the great books programs. Now, I really liked this point because Shaw talks about some of the people and schools that I know and love. He says, in today's world, when the topic of the defects of university teaching and curricula come up, the most well-known alternative put forth is the great books program. Now, that's my thinking. Um, I'll, I'll I said in the first program that I made a controversial comment. If I were to do it all over again, I don't know if I'd go to the university, Joe. I might go over to the public library and check out the great books of the Western world and just read them and then get somebody who could teach me more about them and interact with them. Um, I'll read Aquinas. I'll I'll read Augustine. I'll read Shakespeare. uh, I'll read uh, Homer. Um, and so this is very common. Of course, the, one of the very first great book school was the university of Chicago. Two thinkers there started the school in the great books program. Those two individuals were Mortimer Adler and Robert Hutchins. They started a great book program. By the way, it's the university of Chicago that has the great statement about freedom of speech within the college campus, that uh, you shouldn't limit speech. You should allow students to be challenged. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be any safe zones. Uh, the, the Chicago statement says education is intended to irritate you, not comfort you. Uh, I, you know, I remember coming out of some of my philosophy classes and and being bothered by some of the issues I had to think about. But it was the bother that made me think this is so important that I think about them. Now, uh, they mentioned the University of Chicago, they mentioned Adler and Hutchins, but Shaw also mentions St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. Adler used to go there and give lectures to the students in, in the Great Books program. 
And they mentioned a college not too far up the freeway from where we are here at Reasons to Believe, Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. Uh, remember a couple of years ago, they had a fire there and there was concern that the college might might suffer. Well, I've been up there. It's it's a remarkable place. You get a degree uh, essentially for reading the great books and, and all your classes are dialogue, discussion, debate, uh, analysis. Now, I'm all in for that. And then Shoth kind of throws me a curve. He says, uh, can the great books be problematic? Could they be ambiguous or contradictory? So, you know, here's the issue. If I if I go over to the great books of the Western world, edited by Mortimer Adler, and I go through the Syntopicon, and I read Shakespeare, and I read Homer, and I read Virgil, and I read Augustine, I read Aquinas, I, I read Kant, I read Nietzsche, I read all of these great books. Shaw says this, the study of the great books can lead students to a kind of implicit relativism or to a choice of a great mind that leads them far afield. Or if they think that if the great thinkers do not agree, who am I to dispute them? Interesting point that he makes here. And, and that is, even if you read the great books of the Western world, they're not all in unified agreement, although... They agree on a lot, but there are areas where they differ, and it is possible for a student to be reading through and say, well, if if they don't know, I mean, how could I ever kind of challenge them? So what, what Shaw recommends is really uh, our point number nine, but, but I want to stop there because I wonder if you have a question about the great books and how we should appropriately use them. No, uh, I, I just need to get going <laughs> reading some okay. of those great books. <laughs> All right. I it. Well, let's. So Shaw is saying this. He says, look, um, OK, Ken Samples, um, you had it all to do over again. You might rethink your educational process, um, you know, and. Quite frankly, I've learned a lot more outside of school than I ever learned in school. Mm. Most of the things I've learned is reading. Um, and some of the best reading is when I was able to then interact with people who are reading the same things. But it's been reading the Confessions. It's been reading Thomas Aquinas, Luther, Calvin, Pascal, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, these great thinkers that I talk about in my own book, Classic Christian Thinkers. Um, now, Shaw says, look, uh, it is possible if you just relied on the great books that you might say, well, there's some ambiguity here. They don't always agree. Although I think maybe if I had a discussion with Shaw, I might say, well, I think they agree on the big picture. But he recommends point number nine. Shaw has a two two-step recommendation for pursuing truth. And it's an interesting one. He says, the best place to begin for any young man or woman today can be stated in two steps. Number one, the, st the step of self-discipline, and two, the step of, personal, of a personal library. Both of these together will yield that freedom which is necessary to escape the academic dreariness and to discover the wonder of reality of what it is. 
Now, what does he mean by this? Well, let's tackle the first one, self-discipline. He says the person who was most free was the one who had the most control over himself. Mm-hmm. The person who was the most unfree was the one who was ruled by pleasures, money, or power. So one of the points that he's making here, Joe, is this, that part of part of being a human being and part of particularly being a, a young human being is to recognize that you need to be, you need to have some self-control in your life. You need to have some real discipline in your life. It's easy to for things to kind of overwhelm you. And so he's really indicating that we need to take stock of this issue rather than rather than thinking, uh, you know, the the free person uh, or or I'll put it this way. We sometimes confuse who really has power or who really is free in our life. When we're controlled by things, we, we have less power. So he says there is an intimate connection between our moral life and our intellectual life. And I, I appreciate that because I think it's possible to miss that. I think it's possible to think that college is all about ideas. But it's not just about ideas. It's also about who we are and conforming ourselves. Um, I want truth, goodness, and beauty. Well, I want truth, goodness, and beauty to be characterized in my life. And so I need to think about what kind of person am I? What kind of character do I have? I, I love that the classics in a Western civilization, they do talk about these issues. They talk about the human condition. And Shaw, even though he's a contemporary Catholic theologian, he believes in the fall. He believes in original sin. Well, that is part of that connectedness. Now, the second part here, he says this, it's developing a personal library. Um, Not just any library, but a personal library. He says the second step, if I can call it that, to advancement in the pursuit of objective truth has to do with a personal library. And he says you need to read books, but he says you need to read you need to read print books. In fact, uh, let me let me read to you what he says here. Um, he says modern computers provide many material instantaneously in a short handy form outline indeed the amount of variety of material available through the computer is so enormous that we cannot easily comprehend its reach we are profoundly fortunate to have almost the whole of the world's books music art journals and press available to us through the internet nonetheless the most important ideas and concepts still appear first in the print media, in books. Uh, He says, how to read a book, to use Mortimer Adler's famous phrase, is still one of the most important skills we can develop in our pursuit of the truth. How about developing a personal library? Shaw, by the way, told his students, when I give you a book, keep it for life. Hmm. I mean, what kind of books would you buy if one of your criteria is, this is a book 
that I can keep for life. In his little book, Shaw also says, look, reading these books at age 20 is different than reading them when I'm 40 or 50 or 60. And of course, Adler used to say that what makes a book a great book is you can never exhaust it. You can never get to the end of it. You think you've gotten all of it. You come back another time. It's like, wow, I missed that part. Or when you're young, it says this to you. You get a little older. It says something about that. He says, read print books. Now, that's that's challenging. Uh, I know people that Joe, they read everything online. Everything's electric. And by the way, electric books, ebooks have appeal. Uh, I'm getting older. My eyesight is suffering a little bit. I, and it's frustrating. Um, you know, some of the electronic books, it's very bright. Uh, they look more like regular books. And of course, you can store them. I mean, uh, the other day, I uh, on my vacation, I went to a couple thrift stores, and I, I bought in two bookstores. I bought forty books. <laughs> wow! Uh, now they weren't very expensive, which was mm -hmm. pleasing to me. But um, when I got home, uh, I had a conversation with my kids and with my wife. Well, what's going to happen to my library when I die? Of course, I told them. Now, when you bury me put some of my books and a flashlight in my reading glasses in case I wake up early, right? <laughs> Only me hanging. Mm. But but of course, one of the great things about having ebooks is I can have, you know, you could have 250 books, you know, on your little, your little device. Mm -hmm. But Shaw makes a powerful point. And, and, and it's in all of the studies I've indicated that I've read indicate that memory and cognition work better on print. Mm -hmm. So read books, read print books, read select book, gets recommendations from trusted teachers. You know, you don't trust just anybody and everybody, but you go to people who have thought through these issues and you, you build a select library, a personal library. He, Shaw says this, he says, I remain a firm believer in C.S. Lewis's famous observation that we have not read a great book at all if we have not read it only once. Let me read that again. I remain a firm believer in C.S. Lewis's famous observation that we have not read a great book at all if we have read it only once. That, again, Adler, you can't exhaust it. There are books on my vacation. I reread Mere Christianity. How many times have I read it? Dozens. But I always look back. I always look forward to going back and I think, oh, I remember this. And then, then I think, wow, that kind of jumped out at me and hit me a little differently. Mm -hmm. I'm reading these books. Shaw says, this is why books from another time are so precious to us and why we need to find them, read them. Someone who knows Aristotle, Plato, Cicero, Augustine, or Aquinas will never be too far from the truth, never out of date. So he's looking at the great books and he says, yeah, but within the great books are the, these special books. And of course, um, 
what's what's very powerful here, Joe, is that the past is uh, in, instead of being something that's over and get rid of. I've always seen Christian history as such a valuable tool. Um, you know, I loved writing classic Christian thinkers. I, I'm sure it was a little awkward that I, you know, here I work at a science faith organization and I'm writing a book about Christian history. But I think it's important today that people who wrestle with science faith issues know a little bit about Christian history and who those thinkers were and, and what we affirm. And in fact, my 10th point here from Shaw is that he gives a list of books that uh, he recommends. Um, there are 20 of them. Uh, number one, an anthology by Joseph Piper. Piper has many thoughtful books. Two is Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Three, Philosophy and Introduction by Bochinsky. I'd never seen that one. Uh, I was looking for it on Amazon. Four, The Whimsical Christian by Dorothy Sayers, who was an associate of C.S. Lewis. Five, A Guide for the Perplexed by Shoemaker. Six, A General Theory of Authority by Simon. The Christian Universe by Eric Maskell. I believe he's an Anglican, if I recall. Eight, The Habit of Being, The Letters of Flannery O'Connor by Flannery O'Connor. Nine, Selected Essays by Hillier Bellock. Number 10, The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. 11, Crossing the Threshold of Hope by John Paul II. You get a little Catholic flavor here. He's a Jesuit after all. 12, Back to Virtue by Peter Kreeft. I think Kreeft is... Uh, the Catholic C.S. Lewis. Uh, 13, Homo Ludens by Hunzinga. That sounds like a Dutch name to me. 14, Conversations with Walker Percy. 15, The Seven Deadly Sins Today by Fairley. 16, The Road of Science and the Way of God by Stanley Yockey. By the way, Yockey had a big influence on Hugh Ross. Uh, he's a physicist and, a, and an apologist for creation, and his ideas have stayed with you. Yaki, by the way, is the one who said that the reason why other cultures couldn't create a, a permanent science was they had false ideas. 17, Conversations by Vogelin. 18, Christianity and History by Butterfield. 19, Rational Man by Vich. And Number 20, The Hungry Soul by Leon Cass. Again, some of these, I, these are books I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, but this little book, Joe, is, is, is filled with, uh, you know, little um, uh, tables that, that recommend various, various books. And what a treasure. Um, again, you know, we, we don't have to agree with everything that other people believe. Um, you know, again, if I can come back to this kind of Catholic Protestant issue, Shaul is a Jesuit. He's going to believe certain things that Protestants won't easily find to be acceptable. 
But I find that oftentimes conservative Catholics and conservative Protestants are at least worldview allies. You know, we do differ about whether we should have devotion to the Virgin Mary and to the saints. We do differ about what the final authority is in the Christian life. Is it the magisterium of the church that interprets tradition and scripture, or is it sola scriptura? Scripture is the supreme authority. And of course, we, we still differ over the question of how is a person justified? How is a person saved? Is it by grace, through faith, in Christ? Um, can you have assurance of salvation? These are important differences. I, I think it was John Jefferson Davis, the Presbyterian theologian, contemporary at Gordon-Conwell, who said to me in an interview many years ago when I wrote a series of articles on Catholic-Protestant relations, um, he said that he thought that the average evangelical Protestants could agree with about 85% of what the Catholics taught. Of course, that leaves 15%, and that 15% is pretty important. And there are real different, I think there are real differences. But from a worldview vantage point, I got a lot out of this little book. And I thought to myself, wow, uh, if I were really super critical of the Catholic Church that I couldn't read anything Catholics would written, well, then I'd miss out on Augustine. I'd miss out on Pascal. I'd miss out on Shaw. And you know, I, I think Protestants have something to teach Catholics. I also think Catholics have something to teach Protestants. This is a this is a nice little book. And how many more of these little books are out there? Uh, if you're reading and you're getting recommendations and you're talking to people, I mean, I think you I think our listeners should develop relationships where we have intellectual friendships. Now, of course, I hope it goes a lot further than that. I hope you, maybe you share a meal together. I hope if there's a tragedy that you would you would care for people and love them. Um, we're called to all of that. But, you know, an important, important point, important relationships, Joe, in life is also to have intellectual friendships where people teach us and challenge us and expose us to things. And of course, I think that's what we're trying to do here on Straight Thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for bringing uh, Shaw's insights to us after reading that book. I'm impressed, Ken, at where you're doing your shopping. You're able to find 40 books at two thrift stores. Anytime I've gone to one, it's like, uh, nothing here I want. <laughs> you know, you know, I found I went to uh, I went to the largest thrift store it was salvation army and mm -hmm. i found i found two c.s lewis books mere christianity and screw tape letters then i went to another one in riverside where i live uh inland empire of southern california i went to a, one called the server it was even bigger and i found a couple more c.s lewis books wow. mm -hmm. so you know you know what's really funny is of course i could find any of these books on amazon but there's something about going to a thrift store, particularly with my wife, because she goes and looks at the clothes and I go look at the books. And the challenge always is who's going to give up first. <laughs> and, you know, what's what's really what's really enjoyable, Joe, is it's kind of like a treasure hunt. I go into a book and I wonder what's going to be in there. Mm. And uh, the prices are 
are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's it's kind of fun. And then I bring them home and talk to my daughter and my son and say, this is what I found. So mm-hmm. I'm back. I'm back to one of my early um uh, pastimes looking looking for books in thrift stores <laughs> very good all right well let's hope uh, some of us pick up on that habit and and uh, get wise to how we can find some good deals out there thank you ken for bringing these insights to our attention from james shaw again the uh, title of the book uh, uh what was it again ken it student's, is... student's guide to liberal learning that's right yeah okay all right, that's going to wrap it up for this podcast. But let me read a few of the comments that have come in uh, via your social media. Again, some people have been writing in uh, to express their appreciation for your books and just various things that you have taught over the years. Uh, people have come to know you from uh, hearing uh, talks delivered uh, from your books, of course, and also a lot of things that you write online on Facebook and and so on, Twitter. So here are some of the comments that have come in. You caused me to delve deeper into Christian theology. Thank you, Donna Henderson. Uh, Here's another comment. I'm grateful for your work, Ken. May the Lord multiply your impact in days and years to come. Dr. Gary DeWeese, Biola University philosopher. Yeah. So I think a lot of our listeners will recognize that name. And then just one more here. God Among Sages clearly presents the different religious leaders comparing them to Jesus. I found the way Ken brings them together, all the scripture affirming who Christ said he was and how he demonstrated it. Remarkable. This book has been really encouraging for me as a mature Christian. Uh, Brawny, Adelaide, South Australia. So. It's coming from all around the world, uh, Ken. I like it. mentioned be, mentioned before that uh, people even from Africa and Asia have written in to say that you're, they found your books. So uh, thank you for those kind words. Uh, keep them coming. You can reach Ken via his Twitter handle at RTB underscore K samples. Don't miss any episodes of Straight Thinking. You can subscribe to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts. Podbean and Spotify, and you'll get an episode delivered to you each week. All right, for Ken Samples, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Straight Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.